I'm really excited to see the new Pet Cemetery movie. So that might be the one Stephen King book that creeps, everyone creeps else has you out read. Way too much. Well, n- no, not oh. what I was going to say. Oh. If you'd let me finish a sentence once in a while, <laughs> um, no, the one Stephen King book that everyone else has read that I have not. Actually, I haven't ever read it either. I don't know why, but I'm you, really you ex- just talking about like it really creeps you out because it's so creepy to me. You haven't even read it. <laughs> But I mean, the idea is creepy, the idea, and it also just makes me think of Sammy. Literally, what Mama said to me uh, last week when I told her that I wanted to see this movie. So, um, okay, what? T- no, what? I have to, I have to know exactly how she said it. <laughs> so she said, "Brittany, why do you want to see that movie when you keep having dreams about Sammy?" So does she know that we all have dreams about Sammy? Yes. So listeners, um, Sammy is our old cat. It's the cat that we grew up with, um, passed away when I was like 18 years old. And all- also just fun fact, our parents got Sammy before Brittany was born. Yes. Sammy was old as fuck. <laughs> Super old. And um, so me, Tyler and our sister have all had a dream that Sammy um crawls out from the ground and is like under our bed or something and is like still alive god (laughs) i wonder if that's one of those things you know how there are certain dreams that like everyone has that like for example like the dream where you're in a car and you're driving but you're actually in the back seat all of a sudden (laughs) like you know that yes okay i was like (laughs) I was like, that's that's not an only me thing. I know it's a common thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a common thing. Um, but I wonder if, I don't know, dead family pet crawling out from under your bed with no face is a thing, or if we're just damaged. I don't even know. I'm... Well, with that cheery introduction, uh, hello everyone, this is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And um, this episode's not going to be about dead family pets. Just no, it's not. Just our intro. It's not our topic of uh, choice. Um, but I will say, going off of the Stephen King train, yeah, I think it's so interesting that his books are amazing. The movies based on his books generally suck. <laughs> so this one is supposed to be really good, and. I'm skeptical, but... You know, it might be. But, like, basically the only Stephen King movies that are generally seen as good that I know of are, like, the original Carrie, Green Mile. God, Green Mile's so good. uh, The Shining. The Shining's really good. But other than that... Like, neither of the Carrie remakes were very good. I'm gonna step back just a second, because it just said The Shining was good. It was good. Not if you've read the book. I think it's good because it's filmed very well. But it, it was directed by Stanley Kubrick, right? Yeah. Okay, which makes sense. I mean, I, it's not a movie that I enjoy, but I, we know how I feel about movies, so that doesn't mean anything. It's true. I don't even know um, why I opened this up with, like, trying to talk to you about a movie in the first place. Because there are certain movies I like. <laughs> like, for example, the newest Carrie with Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, I liked it. No, I could. I, I know it's it wasn't a good one. Yeah, but I liked it. Well, there you um, go. I mean, it was much more like X Men than Carrie. 
which I was like, it, it was very X Men. It was very. It was X-Men. like, ooh, my powers are happening. I'm gonna fuck everyone up, and I'm like, no, Carrie's just the. It's the entire thing should just be depressing. Yeah, because it kind of is. And then one of the things that makes me so mad is. Uh, one of his more recent books, Cell, which I've tried to get you to read like 6,000 times. You I know, still I have my copy. I think you've actually even talked about it. Uh, maybe. But um, great one. And it's honestly one that's set up that it, it would work well as a movie. I mean, it doesn't have too much that's like introspective and just like going through the thoughts and stuff. Because most of the things going on, like the main characters don't know what's going on. Right. And there's a group of them, so they're talking about it. And then they made a movie about it. And I was so excited because it had John Cusack, mm-hmm. who was playing, like, a 30-year-old. John Cusack is, like, 60, but okay. And uh, I think it had Samuel L. Jackson and um, the girl who, she was, like, the creepy girl in... Uh, Orphan Black. That's oh, not it. That's a TV that. show. That's a TV show. It's not that. It's, I don't know, some creepy orphan movie. Maybe it's just called Orphan. She was also like Clove in the Hunger Games, if y'all watch that. Anyway, good cast. I was like, yes. It's like unwatchably bad. Really? Again, one of my favorite books. And not something that like, I couldn't watch it because the book is so much better and like, it's just a disgrace. No, like, just the movie itself is unwatchably bad. I got, like, ten minutes in, and I was like, this is terrible. Like, you couldn't even make it through. It was like if a high school, like, drama club suddenly got, like, a $40 million budget. Oh, my God. I mean, it, it it was so bad. Um, I didn't even make it far enough in to... Like, see Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> who I think, I think Samuel L. Jackson said it. And he's one of the main people. Like, it was just bad. Oh, God. Um. So, Stephen, we love you. Just, I'm sorry, man. Sometimes they're they just, doing you dirty. They just... Maybe Pet Cemetery will be better. I will watch it maybe in a year when it's on Netflix. I bet it'll be on Netflix a little bit sooner than that. I don't know, A Star is Born is not on Netflix or Hulu yet, and I'm about to throw a bitch fit. <laughs> oh my god. I know gosh. it's technically only been, like, four months since it came out, but It still. feels like a lot longer. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, it's been like a year. No, it has, it, I think came out, like, November. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know how to gracefully transition, so I won't pretend I will, but um, y'all should check out our Patreon. If y'all don't know what Patreon is, I assume that you probably skip the first <laughs> 10 minutes of every single episode because we mention it. <laughs> You're a skipper. Um, but in the off chance that this is the first episode, you are hearing about it. Um, Patreon is where we have um, some just amazing, amazing fans that subscribe and support us and in doing so you get access to a bunch of cool features like our murder mini episodes Mm -hmm. and um shout outs and different just 
fun things. Letters, you get to uh, direct an episode if you're our top tier. Stickers that are exclusive. And now in our retired logo. It's true. But a retired logo sounds so sad. I know it does. It's our logo V1. Logo V1. Um, but if you want the stickers now, you definitely have to join Patreon to get them. It's true. So, it's true. But... Along with that, uh, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you're using. We're also on Spotify, um, but you will get notifications of all of our new episodes every Tuesday. So be sure to check that subscribe button. Yeah, subscribe. (laughs) Every time someone hits the subscribe button, I involuntarily sing the word subscribe. Does one of the YouTube people you listen to do that? No. Oh, I always think of YouTube subscribing when I say it. Make sure to subscribe. Hit that little bell icon to get notified every time there's a new video. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think of. Also, YouTube apparently has like a Patreon type thing built in now. Really? Where you can like sign out. I don't know what it's. They have a word for it. It's like register or something weird like that. But anyway, you can basically donate money to your people and get access to exclusive content but it's all built in youtube you know that's actually really cool cool. yeah that's really cool another way for youtubers to make some money so um well so if you guys didn't catch last week's episode it actually ended up being a uh, a draw we called it yeah which we haven't had a draw in a long time yeah so this week ty and i decided to collaborate on the topic and do something a little bit special something we've been talking about doing for a while and um so ty do you want to introduce our topic yeah we decided that it was high time that we focus on austin murders Weirdly, we did it right after Brittany moved out of Austin. Um, But that wasn't the plan originally. It was while we're both in Austin. Um, I think it was just something that we were talking about when... It was when we first started. Yeah. It was was one of our first ideas. And just being like, oh my god. And the original idea had us like recording in the car and like driving to these places and like recording in front of them which now that i think about that i'm like how the hell i know I was did say, we think logistics wise that would work we didn't know yet that that would sound like absolute shit just think of a podcast uh-huh. with like road noise like <laughs> all in the yeah. background and just like also wind. this was back when it was recorded on the ipad so yeah, that's um, true but uh regardless it was an idea that we kept in our back pocket really wanted to do and since we both really wanted to do it having a draw last episode was like the perfect opportunity of like yes we don't even have to argue on topic or anything yeah and um i think i think tyler knows what i did i have no idea what he did um really interesting i have an idea but i don't know if i'm right or not also, not only did we collaborate on the topic, we, I don't know, I, we didn't collaborate on the wine either. Um, we didn't. Um, we, since we're in separate places. We're going to do two wines. Yeah. And that, um, moving forward, might be how we do it. And I think it'll be fun to, you know, be able to try out different price points and, I don't know, have like... Kind of like a little like compare, If y'all are tired of us type thing. Be, of being like, oh, wow, this is the 30th episode in a row they've done a red. <laughs> well, you know, here's more variety. Yeah. 
So um, we're just kind of bouncing around that idea if we want to continue doing the same wine or always do different wines. So um, also, let us know what um, you think. Yeah. Uh, back to the topic real quick oh, before yeah. we jump into the wine. Um, I do remember when we were talking about this originally, um, you had talked about doing the UT Tower shooting. Which I've now already you done. actually did in our mass shooting episode a couple, four or five episodes ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, we we've incorporated a little bit of Austin into, and because I remember I had also played around with the idea of doing the, um, if it was the 2010 Austin plane crash, the guy that burned down his home and flew his plane into the IRS building off of Mopac. Did you do that on but a murder mini? I did. That was one okay. I um I did on a murder mini um quite a bit ago. So yeah. if you're interested at that. Um, listening to the that which was an insane case um yes it was you know check out our patreon definitely but yes wine go all right so um i of course picked a red this week what a shock but i'm oh my god this means i'm not gonna have to have a gross ass chardonnay ever again Ugh, dreams do come true <laughs> okay so i picked the 2017 instigator cabernet sauvignon it's from lodi california and i actually went to a kroger here in dallas to get this um ew well it's the grocery store that's closest to where i live Ugh, i know but kroger is just ugh, gross <laughs> it's a it's a grocery store but it, it is a grocery store this this bottle was um 13 and the label is really what drew me in so it's got like what looks like matches like a fire's being lit and um to the vineyard the lodi region is seen as the instigator or like the fire starter that really got the ball rolling in california um for wineries i'm and rolling my eyes at that hey. they just tried i will say fire starter a stephen king movie that was pretty good yep with little drew with little like two-year-old drew barrymore killing people yeah that was a really good one yes um go back to your lodi's the fire starter so we put a match on the bottle well Basically, you know, Lodi used to be this really sleepy region, and now it is um, like a fine wine mecca. So there That's you go. Real. I mean, it's not wrong. It definitely it's not. is. It's not. Uh, but it's just very on the nose. Yes, it is. And I mean, we all know that the Lodi region has an ideal climate, super rich soil, and then vines that have been around yeah, we for We all ages. know. That's something you learn in like grade school. No, I meant like you and I, like how many Lodi wines have we featured? Like uh, It's true. We, That's actually probably our most that would be interesting to track oh what if we got like a map of the world and for each wine we did we put like a pin in it i like it and it's perfect because we i already have a map of the world that is and true it could go right here next to my in my little podcast studio side of my bedroom i'm such a genius you're a genius you're a genius but um anyway we just yes, we've sorry. talked about lodi a lot and so you know they have a lot of zins a lot of cabs um come from there but this one um the tasting notes for this cab bold notes of red currant and black cherry with spiced aromas of vanilla cedar and nutmeg so cedar yeah Ooh. obviously you can see why i picked this up yeah, that's a very you one yes it is so um while i open this bottle tell me about what wine you got 
So the wine I chose, it's funny, you chose one that's very you. I chose one that's very me. Did Mine you? is the Monkey Bay Sauvignon Blanc. You did pick a Sauvignon Blanc. I knew you would. Oh, yeah. So this wine was $11 for me. And I got it from like a corner store near my apartment. So it's probably cheaper most other places. Um, but first off, I want to talk about the name Monkey Bay. So side note, the mon- I love that we both just like we're like we went to the closest grocery store or anywhere that we could get wine to where we live because we both picked up these bottles today before recording. Oh yeah, I got off the bus at like six thirty and walked it. The little grocery stores on my way from the bus stop to my apartment. And I was like, yep. You know that means um, we were totally buying wine at the same time. Yeah, we were. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so Monkey Bay wines are named after this small, beautiful bay that's tucked away in the Marlboro Coast of New Zealand. You know the word I cannot say. I know. (laughs) Marlboro. Yeah. Marlboro. Marlboro. It's on New Zealand's... No. It's on New Zealand's South Island... And it's right next to the world-renowned Cloudy Bay, which is world-renowned, even though I have never heard of it. I've never heard of it Uh, either. So the reason it's called Monkey Bay is there's a legend of a sailor who visited the bay in the late 1800s, and he reported seeing a monkey just... There? Monkey in around. Oh, God. I can't believe I said that. Um, just doing his thing, doing his monkey business. It, God around. damn it. Monkey business. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, y'all. Podcast over. <laughs> I punned myself to death. Um, so he's like, I saw a monkey. And the locals are like, I highly doubt you did because monkeys don't exist in New Zealand. Like, we, we don't have them. <laughs> but it technically is possible that a monkey had escaped from like a whaling ship that was docked nearby why there was a monkey on a whaling ship i do not know but apparently it's a possibility apparently so regardless of if he actually saw a monkey or not um it's called monkey the spot became monkey known as monkey bay well there you go so the color of this wine is described as pale lemon with brilliant clarity the aroma is a vibrant bouquet of ripe grapefruit kiwi and pineapple with a hint of freshly cut grass you'll think you've wandered into paradise first off bouquet of grapefruit kiwi and pineapple is a big ass bouquet those are big fruits and kiwis (laughs) um so just side note there um it's taste it its palate is like a very fresh lively approachable wine and it's overflowing with grapefruit lemon and passion fruit with a very like delicate herbaceousness in it it does sound like Um, a very you wine i know i'm so excited um and it pairs really well with chicken sea bass shellfish and the website told me specifically think summer think the sun deck which doesn't tell me food i don't know what food you are and aren't allowed to have on a sun deck you know but, whatever you want i think except you know, maybe like tuna know, it's salad. a white wine have it with white meat but anyway mine doesn't have a cork it's a screw top oh so well there you go ah, which i prefer because sometimes you can't find a corkscrew and you're fucked and Nothing's going to stop me from getting into wine. It's true. It's true. Um, I, I remember 
One time I used a screw and pliers, but I got that bottle open. Um, I have used a shoe once mm-hmm. in college because you can put, if you have like a tennis shoe, you can put the bottle of wine like where your ankle would be, like sitting straight up, and you can hit it against a brick wall. Yep. And the shoe will cushion it enough that it won't break, and it will slowly and surely ease the cork out with every hit. But it took like 20 minutes. <laughs> so. Oh my just, gosh. You know, always just always have wine keys wherever you go. They're like a dollar. Just keep them in your purse. Yeah. Or I guess your, but, um, you and your pocket. Oh, but okay. Um, I, I forget this is how we have to cheers. We're going to try to do bottle. it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Ready? Cheers. Cheers. So. Yeah. Um, I think that was successful. I think so. Mine rang a lot, but I'm going to try it now. Yeah. Same. Mm. This um, this red is really, really good. So, yeah, this has the characteristics of, you know, a, a typical cab. It's definitely very spiced. I can absolutely smell, like, some of this, um, like, cedar and nutmeg. It's not as fruity. It's not as fruit forward as it sounded with, like, the red currant oh. and black cherry. Um, so, but I'm, I'm sure the fruit's going to open up a little bit. Those are usually, like, tamer fruit flavors yeah this one's really good um tell me about yours so mine definitely it has that grassiness that i associate with a really good sauvignon blanc yeah it's definitely more of that grapefruit and tropical fruit than um because some i've had in the marlboro region they have like a very distinct like key lime kind of flavor yeah um, this one is definitely more on the side of like grapefruit, pineapple, I assume passion fruit. I don't know what passion fruit tastes like. Yeah. I've had passion fruit before, but I can't think of it. Side note, if y'all are ever in Seattle or live there and you're a fan of yogurt or you're a fan of things that taste good, so all of you, <laughs> you have to go to Pike Place Market or Whole Foods because you can get it at Whole Foods there and go to Elenos. Um, they make homemade Greek yogurt, and mm. one of their one of their Greek yogurts is a passion fruit, and they like hand grind the passion fruit and shit, and it is incredible. Sounds really um, good. You can ask Mama because I made her get some with me, and she almost died, <laughs> and then was heartbroken that it's not at every Whole Foods because when she got back to Oklahoma, oh, she went to no. Whole Foods to look for it. And her heart and I was broke. Like, no, it's just a Seattle thing. Cause they make it at Pike place market. Yeah. So it's at, I don't even know if it's at all the Whole Foods in Seattle or just the one downtown. But anyway, that's amazing. Passion fruit yogurt. They also have like pumpkin pie. Marion berry is my favorite one. Oh, that jelly um, is so good. Or oh jam. It's not jelly. It's a jam. If y'all have never had Marion berry, Dude, go for it. But anyway, I'm not drinking Marionberry wine. I am drinking Sauvignon Blanc. And it's good. It's very nice, light. It's definitely... I'm definitely going to finish this bottle um, before I get to my case, probably. So it's a very drinkable one. Yeah. Maybe not before I get to my case, but... I was going to say, that's really fast. Before the episode's up, this bottle will be gone and I will be sad. Generally, that's Um, our goal. Yeah. So... Okay. We have our topic. We have our wine. Um, why don't you tell me about your Austin murder? So I did the Austin yogurt shop murders. Okay. 
so I knew you were going to do this one because you've been wanting to do this case specifically for a while. I have. Also, because I know that, I made sure to, like, never look into it and also promptly forgot about it until you mentioned it. So I'll be interested because I literally have no idea what to expect. Well, get ready to... Oh, we did just talk about Elenos yogurt, though. We did. Coincidence? Maybe. <laughs> um. Well, get ready to be really, really frustrated. Oh, Lord. So just go ahead and put yourself in that headspace. Um, so I there are so many sources available for this, um, but the ones I focused on were AETV had an article that they wrote... I used Wikipedia a little bit for a timeline and then CBS News. So this case has been one that's been going on for so long that there are so many articles, so many reporters who have been following it for a very long time. Um, So just so many things to pick from. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump right in. Jump. It was a Friday night, December 6th, um, 1991. And there were two girls. Amy Ayers, who was 13, and Sarah Harbison, who was 15, and they were hanging out at the neighborhood mall in Austin. Mm-hmm. By about 10 p.m., they either walked or they had driven a few blocks away uh, down West Anderson Lane to the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt Shop located on the Hillside Strip Center to meet up with one of their older sisters who oh, worked at the store. Oh my god, this is near where I live. Yes, it is. I am like a half mile from West Anderson. Also... It's, is it bad that it took me quite a long time to figure out that the street was West Anderson and not named after Wes Anderson? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Because that took me about... Um, a year. You know, until like three weeks ago. It's okay. It's so. okay. So one of the older sisters uh, worked at the store. The sister, Jennifer Harbison, was 17, and she really liked her job there at the yogurt shop because she got to spend time with one of her friends who also worked there, Eliza Thomas, who was also 17 Mm -hmm. years old. So is it like a frozen yogurt? It's ICBY. I can't believe it's yogurt. I I don't, I don't know. Is that a, should I know what that is? No, it's it's not necessarily one that you would have heard of. I don't think they exist anymore, really. Oh, God. Um, but... But, it, like, frozen yogurt. Yeah, like frozen yogurt. Okay. So, Austin Police Department officer Troy Gay was patrolling the city when he spotted smoke rising from a strip center. Um, a firefighter mm-hmm. soon arrived and entered the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt shop. As Fire Lieutenant Renee Hector Garza and Firefighter David DeVoe crawled through the store with flashlights in the hand, they spotted a foot. And so they're like, oh shit, then an arm and then a body. So they knew there were victims oh. in the fire. Eventually, yeah. they found four bodies burned, oh. naked, and bound with their clothes. Their legs spread. Oh, fuck. And all of them had been shot in the head. Oh my god. Detective Sergeant John Jones entered the flood scene, and the first thing he said was, holy shit. Um, and so Sergeant Jones had actually been... Yeah. He'd, he'd been in his car when he got the call, and he was doing a ride-along, and they were recording him for something. And I, I don't know exactly what it was, or I can't remember. But, so this whole thing is on video, like him getting the call, and, you know, at first it comes in, and it's like, oh, there's a fire, and then he's like... There are four bodies. We found four bodies. So, Oh, my God. He gets there. And whether it was by the force of the water or an act that the killers did, at least two of the bodies were stacked on top of each other. But all but one of these four bodies were burned completely beyond recognition. Not even race oh was my obvious. God. So Sergeant Jones said that he knew 
immediately that they were kids. Yeah. Originally, all of the autopsy results were sealed, which was very rare in Travis County. Um, However, eventually they were released. And one of the things that the autopsy showed was that the youngest girl, Amy Ayers, the only victim who had not been burned beyond recognition, had been sexually assaulted. Oh. However, this was probably not a surprise to the investigators because an ice cream scoop had been found between the legs of one of the bodies. So as if it had been used. Yeah. Um, You know, and in 1991, Austin was a big city. Nowhere near as big as it is now, but it was a big city with a small town attitude. So this kind of crime happened somewhere else. This didn't, this wasn't something that happened in Austin. Um, yeah, that's a Houston or a or a New York or a Chicago. That's exactly. that's not a Austin. This is not an Austin thing. Um, so these four murders changed Austin forever. So the two original investigators on the case were the before mentioned Sergeant Jones and Mike Huckabee, and they ended up holding back a lot of information about mm-hmm. you know from the press, hoping that it's going to help them solve the case. But well, yeah, I mean, if you have someone who you know says one thing too wrong and it's like uh uh-uh, we haven't released that no one knows that exactly then i mean that's yeah that's a tip that's you know something going in the right direction to hopefully get this solved well one of the really big problems in the case and what really hampered their investigation was that the firemen were called first and mm. you know so it washed away like a lot of evidence exactly you had all these people walking around the crime scene water washed away all of the evidence and you know had it happened today, there'd probably be a better way to process the crime scene. But back then, yeah. crime scenes were just processed as best they could be. And also, they didn't know that there were people in there. You know, their thought yeah. was put out the fire. Well, Generally, they, when you... they didn't know that there... In the same way, I feel like they didn't know that there weren't alive people in there. Well, that's what that it, they yeah. need to, like, put it out and, you know, and save people. So, I mean, absolutely, that... I understand that being their first priority. Well, exactly. And when you're going into a fire, you're thinking of saving people, not thinking that you're going to find murder victims that were then set on fire. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea was that this type of crime had to have been committed by an absolute monster. And so that's what the investigators were looking for. They were creating various profiles of the mentally ill, Satanists, serial killers, and at the time of the murders, a known serial killer, Kenneth Allen McDuff, was in the area. And if you remember Have we him... talked about McDuff? Yes. Okay. Because I, I was like, I know that name. Yes. I did him in Murder Mini 13. Um, so if y'all want to hear the story about him, you got to go to Patreon and check that out. But he had a history of multiple murders involving teenagers, but he was soon ruled out of the crime. And eventually, um, he was executed and like confess to it but he was just confessing to so many murders and he had committed so many murders that it didn't fall in line with with what happened however during the investigation the phone just kept ringing with tips but it was just one dead end after another and at one point they had 342 suspects oh shit which is way more than normal for a murder case yeah so needless to say Jones and Huckabee were completely overwhelmed. Yeah. What they did know, though, was that there was about $540 missing from the register, and there were two different guns used in the crime. And investigators were focusing on young people, you know, 16 years old, hanging out, just like that, that type age group. I hope not. I mean, I 
I, I can't imagine anyone doing this kind of crime, no. but especially a kid. 16 years old, you're a kid. You're I mean, I also think when you're like 20, you're a kid. It's true, I do as well. Basically, if you're younger than me, you're a child. But 16, oh. So. I hope not, but I also like don't know what to hope. So eight days after the murders, police interviewed 16-year-old Maurice Pierce, who'd been hanging out that Friday night at the very same mall as Amy and Sarah. And he was picked up for carrying a 22 caliber handgun which was the same caliber of the two guns used in the crime. Okay. Pierce told police that 15-year-old Forrest Wellborn had borrowed his gun and that he's the one that killed the girls. Um, Wellborn claimed that he did not know a thing about the murders. He and Pierce, along with two other guys, Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen, these guys were both 17, so a little bit older, they'd taken a stolen car to San Antonio that night. So they're like, no. So they're just fuck-ups in general, but uh, not this much of a fuck They're up. just saying they're just teenage boys. Like, they're literally here. They stole a car. I didn't steal a car when <laughs> I was 16. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. They're admitting to stealing a car. So it's like, mm-hmm. I-, I can I can see this, this exchange happening where they're like, no, we didn't murder the girls. We stole a car. Like, no, we weren't up to any good that night. But but we were we didn't do murder not then. murdering and setting buildings on fire yeah no that's fair so jones believed that the four boys did not commit the crime and the interrogation went nowhere and additionally ballistics could not prove that this exact gun that pierce was found with had committed the crimes like the bullets were just not they they were too destroyed they were too fragmented they couldn't analyze which 22 caliber it came out of while this investigation is going on Dozens of people are confessing to the murders, even bragging. But these were all false confessions. What the fuck? The police even ended up with six written confessions, but there was no hard evidence to back up any of these. Why? I just, I don't understand. Like, why would you confess to something like this? I don't know. If you didn't do it. And the fact that... You're just muddying the waters... So that the person who actually did it might get away because of you. Yeah. Well, and the fact that I don't understand why so many people were confessing that they did this because I don't know, maybe it was just, it was such a big deal. Like nothing like this had ever really happened in Austin. Um, It was just such a brutal crime, but why you would want to attach yourself to that? I don't know. But yeah, but Sergeant Jones said that they were not going to sign the line until they met the standard of proof beyond reasonable doubt. And the fact that yeah. they had no evidence to back up any of these confessions meant they weren't going with any of those. They were like, Which, no, he was. That's good. I know. Because I I know far too often someone confesses and they're like, all right, case closed. And it's if it's a false confession, the, the actual murderer is still out there. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, Huckabee and Jones were taken off the case and they were replaced by new investigators. So, in around this time, a billboard also went up alongside I-35. It had images mm-hmm. of all four girls, and it just simply stated, who killed these girls? With a God. number and a $25,000 reward. Those kind of billboards are just so heartbreaking. They are. Because I feel like, I don't know, to me, it always seems like a very desperate act. Yeah. yeah. Putting up a billboard. Like you have because done everything I feel like... you could and now you're putting up a billboard. 
And it's because it's just like, maybe someone will see this. Because I feel like even with flyers, they're more personal. And it's like, okay, it's, you know, you're putting them up in this area where, you know, this happened or whatever. But a billboard is just, especially on the interstate, I mean, that's going to be seen by, you know, 200,000 people a day. That, and that's the point, though. And, oh, I, and I know, and I agree, but it's just like... It's just a way... I don't know. It's just heartbreaking. It is. Because it's, it just, it always feels like something you do when you're like, we don't really have anywhere else to go. It's absolute desperation. Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a way to just get these four girls' faces seen by as many people as possible. Maybe they have I mean, a absolutely. Memory. Absolutely. So, the case went cold. However, on October 6, 1999, about eight years after it happened, Pierce, Wellborn, Scott, and Springsteen were arrested. So these are the four the, boys that I talked the about The four earlier. boys who stole the car to San Antonio. Yep. Okay. So Jones and Huckabee, who, like I said, were no longer on the case, they were stunned. And of course, accusations started flying around that they made mistakes in their investigation. Yeah. The new investigators, one of them, Detective Hector Polanco... They got a break. Two of the men had confessed. Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen. Holy shit. So I'm going to read an excerpt of the interrogation. So Michael Scott says, I remember looking at this girl. I hear the gun go off. I only pulled the trigger once. I hear another gun go off. I I think I hear a total of five shots. Scott said it was a simple robbery and the four guys had case the place that afternoon, jammed the back door open so they could get in. And then the detective in the interrogation says, come on, Michael, you're doing good. Tell us. Let's do this today. Let's do it. And Michael said, I remember one girl screaming, terrified. Robert Springsteen, the other man who confessed, also confessed to rape. Because um, I told you one of the girls, Amy, had yeah. been sexually assaulted. So the detective says, <sighs> you fucking know you fucking raped her. All right, just say it. And Springsteen replies, I stuck my dick in her pussy and I raped her. So Jesus. the police's theory, Fuck. I know, <laughs> um, the police's theory was that these four guys planned to rob the yogurt shop. Three of them would go in and one of them, Forrest Wellborn, would stay outside as the lookout. So he'd stay in the car. But something went wrong and that's when the killing started. Seeing the suspects actually admit to the killings made it all too real for the families i mean they had been waiting eight years for something to happen yeah oh my god in all scott had been questioned for 12 hours on september 9th and then questioned again the next day and then again on september 13th which resulted in 20 hours of videotaped interrogation with just michael scott jesus when it comes to forrest wellborn so the guy that they were saying was the lookout There was absolutely no physical evidence to tie him to the murders, except for the word of one of the defendants, Michael Scott. Yeah. And during the confession, it was as if Scott had to be prodded to remember that Wellborn was even at the scene. Um, You know, the the texts were saying, and, and there was someone else, right? Maybe not inside the shop with you. And that's when Scott said Wellborn was in the car being the lookout. Okay. So when Wellborn was interrogated... He admitted to nothing, and he said he knew of nothing at the scene. Detectives kept telling him that he was lying. Eventually, all four of these men were charged with capital murder. 
Including Wellburn, who just on the word of one person. Yes. Okay. So the police did try twice to indict Forrest Wellburn, and they couldn't do it. So eventually, the charges against him were dropped. Yeah. Charges were also dropped against Maurice Pierce. Um, Police were convinced that he was the mastermind, but they had no evidence to prove that. Fuck. So at this point, it's like everything is falling apart, except for the cases against Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, the case against Forrest... I can believe that he wasn't involved so far. And I, I mean, I guess I came with it. There's not evidence, but, you know, you're saying, like, you know, he was, like, the mastermind behind it. No, 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 not Wellborn. Pierce. Yeah, I know. Like, Forrest, I can see him not being involved. Pierce, it, I hate that there's not evidence. Right. So, even with the two cases that they do have information for, Robert yeah. and Michael... There were some serious problems. Well, I mean, there's a reason that they were suspects initially, and then the two investigators were like, "Uh, no, I don't think it's them. Well, that's because all they had were their confessions. God. And the defendants were later saying that those confessions had been coerced. Which with 20 hours of interrogation. Well, and that was just with Michael Scott. Yeah, I mean, that, it looks like, it looks that way. So Springsteen said, I was berated and berated and berated by the police until they obtained what it was they wanted to hear. They were not going to allow me to leave. And basically, they broke me down. So in 2001, 10 years after the yogurt shop killings, Robert Springsteen was the first to go on trial. And when Springsteen was arrested... He was married and working in a stockroom, but at the time of the murders, he was a 17-year-old dropout who hung out at the mall. So, very different point in his life. Springsteen pointed out during the trial that there had never been any physical evidence linking him to the crime. No fingerprints, no blood, DNA, or hair. But Springsteen did have trouble explaining, after denying for hours that he was involved, why he would later confess to both murder and rape. What really helped someone like Robert Springsteen is that he had a litigator, Joe Jim Sawyer, who was this bigger than Texas lawyer. Oh, like this bigger than life. You know, you know, these Texas lawyers. We've we've talked about them. My hat's almost as big as my dick kind of thing. Well, so Sawyer was on his side supporting that his confession was coerced. But when it made it really difficult is that Springsteen seemed to have gotten some of the details right. Um, For instance, he demonstrated Uh. the position of Amy's body and he knew that she'd been shot with a 380 handgun, which was the second weapon that was used. These are things because they didn't release everything in the beginning. Right. However, it's been 10 years. So some of these details in Springsteen's admissions, they, they seem pretty credible. And yeah. Sawyer stated that Springsteen had known these details for years because they were on the street and they were known by virtually every young kid who had an interest in the case. And who, you know, these kids had been around the area. They'd been there that night. They'd been at the mall. They just Kids knew. I mean, to be fair, there's, I mean, that... I. I get it. Yeah. Because, you know, people talk and there's there's a lot of things that, like, aren't officially known, but are known by people 
because they talk. Like, exactly. So I get it, but I don't. That's but it's a weak argument. It is. It is weak. However, the parents of the victims were absolutely convinced that the police had it right. They had arrested the right guys. And that Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott had killed their little girls. Which yeah, but I'm I'm sure they also just want anyone to be guilty. Of course, it's been ten years. I mean, it, they've had it, no they answers. just want. Yeah, they just, that's it. That's it. That's exactly it. They just, they want answers. And this looks to be answers. Yeah. So in the trial, prosecutors used Springsteen's confession and corroborated it with parts of Michael Scott's written confession, which was read to the jurors. Um, Scott himself refused to take the stand. And so Sawyer, the lawyer, never got the chance to cross-examine him. Jurors deliberated for 13 hours. Robert Springsteen was convicted and then condemned to death row. A year and a half, okay. a year and a half later, Michael Scott, who was also claiming to be innocent, was convicted as well, and he was given life in prison. And so, after all of this time, it felt like the end, but it's extremely far from over. Oh God! So in 2006, it's been 15 years after the murders. I just, I don't like how recent this is getting. I mean, I guess 2006 is still 13 years ago, which I don't like to think about. But I know. It feels like a few years ago. So in 06, there was like this shocking turn of events. Both Scott's and Springsteen's convictions were overturned. Their cases were thrown out. Oh, why? So here's why. Everyone is entitled by the Sixth Amendment to confront an accuser. Oh, is that what the Sixth Amendment is? It is. But in the case of Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen, their confessions were used against each other. But they were never Mm. allowed to cross-examine each other at trial. And so their constitutional rights were violated. Even though in the first case, Homeboy just refused to testify. He was also never called. Oh, he was never called. Okay, okay, okay. So they would have to both be tried all over again. Fuck. Additionally. But I guess, I mean, that. but that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Additionally, there were more questions about the validity of their confessions. Were they coerced? Why would someone admit to this if it wasn't coerced? Yeah. Not only did psychologists feel it was coerced, but John Jones, you know, original detective on the case felt it was too um yeah he said they were nice confessions but they didn't line up to the facts um for instance jones says the killers did not go into the yogurt shop office as michael scott claimed in his written confession and he justified this by saying the door was locked and they had to use the key to open it when they arrived so they couldn't have gone in there additionally Jones starts to question the language that Scott used in his written confession. In the confession, Scott refers to lighter fluid as an accelerant, which is very cop talk. And yeah, that's not how someone would really refer to lighter fluid. Also, there was no accelerant ever smelled or identified at the crime scene. Well, and also because he was like a high school dropout and... Just not a smart kid. I mean, you don't... I guess you also don't learn where it's like accelerant from like high school English class. But still, I wouldn't expect... if To me, if someone was like, 
oh, I have a, a master's from so-and-so and stuff, and they use the word accelerant, I wouldn't be, be as surprised. Right. Because people like that talk like that. I just can't stand anyone who has a master's degree. You're just jealous. Well, wow. And the, You're right. The other thing is, um, Jones said that this was the first multi-syllable word that Scott had used in his entire confession. So it goes along the lines of like, it's not language he would use. He was using very simple yeah. language, not more complex words like accelerate. Yeah. He, I mean, he'd probably say gas or lighter fluid. He Exactly. I mean, like, yeah, that just doesn't. So that's fair. It sounds like that could have come from something the cops said to him. Like it's a word that he heard over and over. And so he used it in his confession. Yeah. Yeah. So additionally, Jones and Huckabee had never been consulted by the new investigators after um, the confessions, which was a surprise because Hmm. they had interviewed the four men eight years prior to their arrest. Right after the killings happened. Exactly. And then released them. Yeah. So the fact that they were never consulted is Yeah. Detective Hector Polanco was later removed from the case after allegations of a coerced confession in a different case. So maybe he had coerced Scott and Springsteen during this case. You know, that was never necessarily proven, but it was proven in another case he did. So... For the next set of trials... Fuck that. Seriously. Um, So for the next set of trials, prosecutors were hoping to bolster the case with new, more reliable DNA tests. You know, technology has evolved since the first trial. Let's see Mm -hmm. what we can do with it. Um, So if you remember, Springsteen said that he had raped one of the victims. But prosecutors got this huge shock when the DNA results came back. As it turns out... DNA from the crime scene did not match Springsteen, nor did it match any of the four men accused. None of them. Oh. However, prosecutors are still absolutely determined to retry both Scott and Springsteen. And so after months of delays, the judge decided just to release Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott without bail. And they they would await trial as free men. He was like, this is taking too long. The families are obviously absolutely outraged. You know, they thought this was case closed. They thought it was done. And now these two men are out. They were finally able to not necessarily move on, because I don't know how you do that, but I like start putting it to rest. They were able to start some type of closure and then it was just all reopened. And it's just the, yeah. Oh, God. So. It's like the image of stitches being ripped open it's just like the perfect because it hadn't healed yet yeah and there's always going to be a scar but they you know the process had started and then just it's all open it's open again so there would never be new trials there just there simply was not enough evidence and i mean and it's it sounds like the only evidence they had in the first place was these confessions and honestly, I don't know how just a confession gets you anywhere. I don't know. It it almost sounds like if, because in the beginning, you know, you were talking about how all of these people confessed and they even had like six written confessions, but the original two investigators were like, no, it has to match evidence. Yep. 
I wonder if these two new investigators that took these confessions would have been the type that are like, all right, case closed. And that's kind of what it seems like. Um, but Yeah, because it, it, I mean, if a confession's all you have, regardless of whether it could have been coerced or not, I just, I feel like that's a confession that's not enough. I agree. And then the second you have to, you call, it becomes legitimate to call in the validity of it. I mean, yeah. Well, and prosecutors ended up dropping all charges against both men. I just wonder how, if new evidence did arise and stuff, how would double jeopardy come into play? Ah, well, um, so prosecutors dropped all charges against both men. Um, Yeah. However, under Texas law, neither Robert Springsteen nor Michael Scott is entitled to compensation for wrongful conviction until a court declares them actually innocent. So they've never been declared innocent. Oh, okay. Just the charges were dropped. Okay, okay. So there you go. Overturned and dropped, but never declared innocent. If new evidence did arise that convicted them, awesome. You know, double jeopardy wouldn't happen. If not, they were in jail for, what, five years? Um, Nearly 10 if you count the time, you know, before the trial. Yeah, for a crime that, let's say in this case, they didn't do. Yeah. And because there's just this vendetta against them, there's nothing they can do. Right. Well, that. so today, investigators still will not admit that they may have gotten the wrong guys. Their attitude is more of the, well, if the DNA didn't match those four guys, then... There must have been a fifth person there with them. There has um, never been word by anyone about a fifth man. Not any of the four men, not any of anyone. No one's brought yeah. up a fifth man. That's not a thing. No, it, I mean, it seems like since from the beginning, this group was like a foursome of friends. Exactly. So they would have mentioned a fifth person if a fifth person was there. Attorney Amber Farnelli who was on both Scott and Springsteen's defense teams, believes that she knows who did the killing. Oh. The location of the yogurt shop, which is between two highways and railroad tracks, gave a lot of opportunity for someone to be able to get away really quickly. And so Amber believes that it was a planned attack and that the men were at the shop that night and the cops just missed it. She states she has this person's DNA because they have the DNA profile just not his name. Amber put together a timeline of all of the guests who visited the shop that night and found out that there were two men that the police never identified or talked to. And many of the patrons mentioned seeing these two men at the front booth of the shop, staying there that night, not really eating, kind of like sipping on a soda or something until closing time. So they were there all night. Yeah. One of the men is described as having lighter hair, maybe dirty blonde. He's about 5'6", late 20s at the time, early 30s. The other man is described as a little bit bigger. And both are described as wearing bigger coats. One's green, um, army fatigue kind of looking jacket, and the other was a black jacket. Did the restaurant or the yogurt shop not have security cameras? No. Mm. So Amber's still... On the case, she wants it solved. Yeah. But, but basically, the investigation is 
closed slash open. There are some officers yeah. who say, you know, they still believe that Scott and Springsteen did it. And there are, you know, the current investigator, like police chief says, no, the case is open. We just haven't, you know, gotten any leads, which means people call with theories or whatever. And there's nothing to back it up. Yeah. Which I wonder how many, if any, cases have been solved by like the armchair detective type person. I think more so nowadays are starting to get leads from it, but... I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. Because, I mean, we all have theories on cases. Yeah. You know, Brittany and I have discussed our theory that like, oh, JonBenet Ramsey was killed by her brother and uh, covered up by the parents or just things like that. But I, I wonder, you know, has that, has th- theories like that of people who listen to podcasts or you know, do their own internet research and kind of just find what's out there in the public domain. You know, what has that led to? Yeah. If any of y'all know, I mean, God, leave a comment or reach out to yeah, us. Yeah, I would love because, to know that. I mean, I, I'm sure there is a case that has been solved by that, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, today, the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt Shop is Classy Nail Salon. And there's a bronze plaque laid in memory of the girls resting beneath an oak tree in the parking lot. And at the base of the plaque, there's oftentimes treats, um, such as four filled donuts and four apples. And the workers inside Classy Nails said that they put the treats out every day and they place something there, as well as coins, because they want people to know that the four girls, Amy, Sarah, Jennifer, and Eliza, have not been forgotten. God. And to this day, this case remains unsolved. No one knows what happened. No one knows who truly did it. And the family has been, like the families of the victims have been put through so much. And these four men, whether you believe in their innocence or their guilt, you know, they've been put through a lot as well. And, um, Pierce actually passed away. He was involved in an officer shooting that was completely unrelated to this. Um, yeah. And where he was shot and killed after, I think, like, slicing the throat of a cop or something like that. Fuck. Um, so, yeah, that is the Austin um, huh. yogurt shop murders. So, um, side note, I just looked it up on a map. And do you remember that little, uh, the wine shop that we went to right before you moved? I had a feeling it was in that center. It's across the street. Yep. Um, the, what's now Classy Nails, the old yogurt shop is just on the south side Mm -hmm. of West Anderson. Mm -hmm. I want to, it's weird because like, I don't know, I feel the need to go there and leave them something and it i mean it might just be proximity that it's literally two minutes from where i live yeah like it's closer than i thought it was or what i don't know so um that was my really crazy austin murder um so what did you pick well i'm not sure how i'm going to follow that up so I'm just going to go into, my, you know what, no, first I'm going to pour more wine. Yes, because pour more wine. I will as well. I need it after that. 
And like I said, I mean, this is how much I have left in my bottle, so. Yep. A sip. I have. Basically. Well, a little less than half. Half. But, um, yeah, that, um, God. I didn't know that. It'll be interesting. So, um, one of my coworkers, she had family that was involved in the UT Tower shooting. Oh, yeah. And so we've talked about that. Like her aunt and her grandma were in the tower when it was happening. God. And she's born and raised Austin. Her family is basically like born and raised Austin, mm-hmm. which is very rare if you've if y'all don't it's know. It's true, it's pretty rare. But I've met maybe five people since I've been here yeah. that are actually born and raised Austin. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not normal. Um, it's not normal. Now, um, it's not common. And um, so I am sure that she could, I mean, if, if I, she doesn't remember this because it was 91. Right. I mean, she might remember the trial and maybe, I mean, but I'll have to talk to her about this because <sighs> anyways, I'm going to jump into my case, which is one that um, we're all going to remember. <laughs> Because it is the 2018 Austin bombings. This is the one I thought you were doing. Yeah. This is... Um, so this is weird. I think this might actually be the closest that I've ever personally come to one of our cases. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I mean, this happened... This started about a month after I moved here. And I just started my job and everything. And it... It was weird because, and I'll go into more detail, obviously, when I get into the case, but I remember talking to, like, family members and stuff, and it wasn't a big deal to them. Yep. But to us in Austin, it was, I mean, it it was a city under siege for the time period. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more, and then I'll go back to this so y'all have more reference, but... I remember this very clearly and Same. very well. Same. So the sources I used were uh, the New York Times, CNN, the Texas Monthly, and Wikipedia. And those are the sources I used in this. Um, I feel like I should also just call out um, like CBS Austin because literally from watching the news when this was happening right. and also my memory. Yeah. As sources, um, because yeah, remember this very clearly. So, at about six fifty-five a.m. on March second, twenty eighteen, thirty-nine-year-old Anthony Stefan House was at his home, and he noticed a package was left on the front porch of his house, and he lived in Northern Austin. As he bent down and picked up this package, I mean, he's probably thinking that it's an Amazon purchase he'd forgotten about, or, yeah. you know, maybe one of his neighbors ordered it and it was wrongly delivered, or whatever. At that moment that he picked it up, the box exploded, <sighs> killing him. God. After this explosion, the Austin Police Department announced that it was investigating his death as a possible homicide, that this looks to be a package bomb that blew up in his hands. Police Chief Brian Manley said, 
we have no reason to believe this is anything beyond an isolated incident that took place at this residence and no reason to believe this is in any way linked to a terrorist act. But we are not making any assumptions. We are conducting a thorough investigation to rule that out. And irony is not the right word, but just the with the afterknowledge of what happens, that statement, I feel like, is could not be more wrong. Uh, agreed. So on the following Monday, March 5th, Austin police identified publicly that Anthony Stefan House was the victim and said that the death was being treated as suspicious. And their first theory was that he was an unintended victim who was killed by a bomb that was meant for someone else. Um, there was a drug dealer who lived in the neighborhood that they thought was that maybe probably was the intended him. victim. Yeah. An assistant police chief, Joseph Chacon, said that police can't rule out that Mr. House didn't construct this himself and accidentally detonate it, in which case it would be an accidental death. So they're also like, maybe he was making a bomb and blew up. But also, to me, that... No. And again, I I wasn't... I. I am not privy to all the information the police have, and I also have the afterknowledge of what really happened, but I feel like if someone was making their own bomb and it blew up, it probably wouldn't take place on their front porch. Yeah. But, That's not what I would think either. Um, but the police kind of ran with this and began to investigate House's finances, and Joseph Chacon uh, told residents not to worry and this, the police response to all of this um, was characterized by multiple people as just inadequate. And that it seemed to be very racially biased. Yeah. Because Anthony was a black man and this took place in, you know, a minority community. And it, it just seemed, their response to everything at the time seemed very lacks mm-hmm. also to kind of zoom out and put more things into perspective about what's going on on march 9th one week after this one of the largest events in the united states was set to begin south by southwest oh my god so, that's right i don't know how i forgot bet- that part between march 9th and march 18th five hundred thousand people would be coming to austin to watch live music, film premieres, tech conferences. I mean, South by Southwest is insane. Oh, so insane. Pretty much for the nine days that it goes on, Austin shuts down. Basically. I mean, half a million people come to the city, and it is, I mean, far and away the biggest thing to happen in Austin all year, and it happens every fucking year. Um you're only a true Austinite when you are absolutely tired of South you By. You lock yourself in your home and you don't go out. I work downtown. A lot of South By stuff happens downtown. My commute went from 15 minutes to, on certain days, an hour and a half, just by the way. Like, the city sends out warnings not to drive. Yep. And it, because it's huge. Because the city goes from a million people to... One and a half. 1.5 yeah. million people in... A week. I mean, it 
It's insane. So some of the guest speakers uh, that would be in Austin during South by 2018 included U.S. Senator and former presidential candidate and also current presidential candidate, I guess, Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. entrepreneur Elon Musk, who runs Tesla, SpaceX, all that shit, um, actor and former California governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. And that is not including all of the musical performers. Yeah. Directors like Steven Spielberg was there. Actors premiering movies like it's. I did not understand what South by was before moving to Austin because I was like, oh, cool, it's like a music festival. So much more than it's that. It's like an indescribable thing. Yeah. The closest thing, as far as like crowds and I don't, I don't know, just a energy, mm-hmm. I guess, that I can think of, is. The Women's March in Seattle. And I was in that march. Yeah. Um, that was only 200,000 people and one day. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is half a million people for nine days. It, yeah. So, yeah, it is... South By is the biggest week in Austin. And during South By 2018, there's a bomber on the loose. Yeah. So on March 12th, 2018, 10 days after Anthony's death... Yeah. At about 6.45 a.m., Shamika Wilson and her 17-year-old son, Draylen Mason, noticed a package was left on their doorstep in East Austin. Shamika brought the package inside into the kitchen to open it and see what it was. What it was. At this point, the city wasn't on high alert. Right. And it I mean it's likely that the two of them had not even heard the news of the explosion 10 days earlier. And even if they had, they might not have thought twice about it since it had just been a one-time thing at this point. And the police were saying that he'd probably accidentally blown himself up. Right. So, yeah, so it wasn't crossing yeah, their minds at all. Yeah. I would, I would not be surprised if they did not think about it at yeah. all. While opening the package there in the kitchen, the bomb inside exploded and Shamika was critically injured and 17-year-old Draylen was killed. Oh my god. Draylen was known in his school and in the wider community as a phenomenal musician. He played classical orchestras as well as mariachi and jazz bands. He knew Bach as well as Vincent and Miles. He'd already been accepted into several prestigious college music schools. And he was also just this phenomenal human being. Yeah. He was a sweet, positive person. He went out of his way to help others. And whether they were friends, teachers, orchestra people that he had just met, he was there for people. He was just a good person. Yeah, all around just great, and great person. And I mean, he was someone who grew up in the black community and he understood that. And he was proud of his race. He was proud of who he was and he wanted to do amazing things and was doing that and was murdered when he was 17. And both of them, both these families were black and in Austin... It's a city that less than 8% of the population is black. And it it just, it seemed impossible that 
these two consecutive package bombs that were targeting these black families in these minority communities in Austin weren't related or anything other than racially motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's, it's the same makeup of the bomb. Like it's, it's very clear that this is the same person doing yeah. it. It seems very obviously to be a racially motivated hate crime. Yeah. Just a few hours after the bombing that killed Draylin and injured his mother at around 1150. So five hours mm-hmm. after 75-year-old Esperanza Herrera was visiting her elderly mother's house, and she was seriously injured when she picked up a package bomb that was left outside the house. Mm. She, I mean, she's just, she's she's 75. I mean, she's not young right. herself. Visiting her elderly mother to, you know, check in on her, take care of her. She sees this package at her mom's house and is like, oh, let me bring in this package for mom. Yeah picks it up, and it explodes in her hands. Thankfully, she did survive. She was severely injured, but she did survive. And this explosion was just a few miles away from the attack that happened earlier that day that killed Draylin. This bomb was also reportedly addressed to a different address, and it was delivered to Esperanza's mother's house by mistake. Oh. After this third bombing the Austin Police Department began to investigate the connections between these victims. Yeah. So House's father was close friends with Draylen's grandfather. So there's a connection there. Both of the elder men had attended the same church, and they were prominent members of the black community here in Austin. So so police are linking this up. They're like, okay, there's there's been three at this point. These are... They're related. They're related. Yeah. And police were cautioning the public against opening suspicious packages, and they advised them to call the police instead. Like, don't touch it. Call the police. And because these bombs appeared to be targeting the east side of Austin, which predominantly consists of Black and Hispanic residents um, and are just strong minority communities... Local activists were questioning whether this police advisory and investigation was delayed. You know, why did it take until a third bombing? For them to do something. For yeah. for them to start being like, okay, you know, don't open packages, yeah. you know, beware. And, and kind of broadcasting it. Because until this, I mean, you, you would know about it if you had watched the evening news. Right. The day it happened. Or, like, looked at your phone you know, when you got the text alert. Yeah. But, well, un- until this, the second and third bombings, there weren't these text alerts and stuff. There, It, it wasn't a thing. No, no, I mean, like, a news alert. A news story. Like, you would get yeah. those alerts. So, my perspective from this, the apartment we lived at was... Like a mile. A mile and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a mile, mile and a half from where the second and third bombings took place. And so that was very unnerving. Oh, yeah, it was. Like, that was was when it hit me where I was like, oh, shit, something's going on. And I was freaked out. Like, every day when I got home, I'd, like, look. I'm like, is there a package there? Yeah. Is there anything in front of my door? I had ordered so much on Amazon, too. Like, so I mm -hmm. had packages coming, which was just really scary. 
Yeah. Well, the the apartment complex we lived at, it was like doors on the outside. So yeah, anyone could leave the, something. The deliverers, deliverers, the like Amazon people, the FedEx drivers and stuff. I mean, they would leave packages on your doorstep. Yeah. So every day walking home, I would eye packages everywhere. All the apartments around me that just have these packages in front of them. And I'm like, what if that's not an Amazon package? Yeah. All all I know at this point is that people are getting packages on their doorstep that are bombs. Yep. And how am I going to make sure that, you know, if I see a package on my doorstep, I can call the police. How can I make sure my neighbors are going to do the same thing? Yeah. I mean, we had extra security at work. Mm-hmm. We had to, like, extra badge in and stuff. And... This is when it started becoming scary. Yeah. Um, I 100% because, agree with that. Because I, th- I think the first bombing, I don't think I heard about it. Um, when it happened. No, I, I mean, I might have, but I don't think it so. It was one of those things that, like, I think I heard about it, but it was fleeting. And I was just like, oh, shit, yeah. that sucks. But then the... S- I mean, it, it, I might have heard about it in the same way of that you'd hear about, like, oh... A house on the other side of Austin burned down. Exactly. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, oh, that sucks. Well, and with... But it's another just little news story. Yeah, and with two and three happening on the same day, like, that's when I heard about it. And that... I don't know. That that was when it was like, okay, this is... This is very serious. Absolutely. Shit's going down. So on March 18th, at about 8.30 p.m., two men who were in their 20s are walking down the street in this residential neighborhood in southwest Austin when all of a sudden another bomb goes off. Both of the men were seriously injured but survived the explosion of this package bomb that was left on the side of the road. Unlike the three earlier bombings, this one wasn't left on a doorstep. This one was triggered by a tripwire that was strung across the sidewalk. So, the bomber had placed this bomb hidden, you know, in, like, the grass or whatever by the sidewalk, and strung a tripwire. So, that just the next person who walked across it didn't see the tripwire, kicked it, the bomb would go off. Yeah. Another thing that's just really unnerving about this is that this tripwire bomb was strung across the sidewalk and attached to a caution children at play sign. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's very likely that they were targeting children. Bomber's motive was children, who, thankfully, the two men that were injured by the bomb were in their twenties. Because I can imagine a child not being able to survive those injuries. Absolutely. Oh my god! And that was in so. God, what neighborhood was that? It was Trails something. It was it was over near Sunset Valley. Yeah, yeah. Which comes back into play. Which is close to where I worked um, at the time. Yeah, it is. That's horrifying. I know. So the police chief said that the idea that they're now dealing with someone using trip wires shows a much higher level of sophistication and a higher level of skill. Yeah. Because I guess, I mean, just from what it sounds like, I guess making a general explosive or putting something together like that. I don't that think it's that hard. Isn't, yeah. yeah. 
but to do something with a trip wire with like this kind of thing is like okay this is now with some type of trigger that's more than just sheer movement well because i imagine if it's something that you know is getting picked up maybe you have like two powders or Something, something that needs to mix next to each other that when it mi- when it moves and mixes they blow i don't know but a trip wire having like that ig- catalyst or something it just shows a lot more sophistication it's yeah. like okay we're you know we're dealing with a something very serious yep. and someone who knows um, what they're doing one thing to note about this one though is that the two men that were injured by this blast were both white and the tripwire bomb itself had been planted in a predominantly white area of town. Mm-hmm. So while this didn't rule out the possibility of the bombings being racially motivated hate crimes, it did muddy the waters because this is the first bomb that's not in a strong minority community. Right. So it changed like their original thought, I guess. About the motive. But I still... And I remember at the time, a lot of people, when this came out, were like, oh, obviously it's not racially motivated or anything at all. Will you throw that off the table? I don't necessarily agree. I mean, I, I could see this as being a diversion to that or an additional thing. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I but so I still th- I I think it it muddies the waters, but it doesn't like completely take away from that possibility. Kind of right, thing. right. I agree. I agree because you could think of like literally right now. I'm thinking of so many different scenarios or reasons why if someone were racially motivated, why they would do something that wasn't as specific and targeted. But I can yeah. also think of well, if it was random, it was random. It, it just, like, literally yeah. both of those, I can see a thought process. No, absolutely. So, now to March 20th, which was an eventful day. Yes. So, just after midnight on March 20th, another package bomb exploded at a FedEx distribution center in Shirts, Texas, which Shirts is on the outskirts of San Antonio mm-hmm. and about 60 miles from Austin, So this was the first one, the first explosion that happened outside of Austin itself. And this explosion injured an employee at the FedEx Center, but they did survive. Law enforcement officers, however, said that the package was addressed to Austin and was connected to the other bombs in this investigation. Later on that same day, another package bomb was discovered at a FedEx facility near the Austin Bergstrom International Airport. Mm-hmm. And it, this was discovered in the morning, so not not that long after. Yeah. This bomb, however, was intercepted and diffused before it could reach its intended target. And this was the first time that one of the serial bomber's devices was recovered unexploded. Yeah, I'm glad they were able to finally get one that was not detonated so yeah. they could actually look at it and maybe see what what he was doing and yeah, how he they, was, or how they were composing it. Yeah, well now they can get evidence into like, you know, is there anything specific in yeah, this? Yeah, well that and also to actually lead to a person. Also to compare the bombs to make sure that they are actually yeah. related. Yeah, I mean I can imagine the fear copycats. of copycats yeah. 
I mean, ugh. so both of these two packages, the one that exploded in shirts and the one that was intercepted at the FedEx facility near the airport, were sent by the same person from a FedEx store in Sunset Valley. And Sunset Valley is this enclave suburb that's completely surrounded by Austin. It's about five miles southwest of downtown. Mm-hmm. So it's it's weird that it's its own town kind of thing. Yeah. Because it's very much like in the middle of it Austin. It always really confused me because I would see the signs that would be like, welcome to Sunset Valley. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is that just like a neighborhood? Because I would shop there all the time. Same. And... I didn't actually know until re- doing this research that it was actually its own town and not just like a neighborhood or section of Austin yeah. called Sunset Valley. I was like, oh, I guess it is its, its own town. It's really weird. It's like literally you could stand with one foot in Sunset Valley and one foot in Austin because it's right there. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, it's one of those like, you know, you're driving for 10 miles in Austin, then you get into Sunset Valley for a mile or two and then you get out of sunset valley and you're back in austin yeah, for another five bubble. ten miles i mean it's but um and it, it it's weird because sunset valley was where we would shop yeah. like that was where like the old navy was that was where the ross and coles and all the cheap stores that i buy clothes from and also total are. wine which is like wine mecca remember there are multiple total wines oh, oh are yeah. there because i only go to the one in mueller well, but the one at Sunset Valley is great. Um, I took Mama there, and it was wonderful. But it's it's weird being so connected to this case to the point where, like, the FedEx facility near the airport... That's where you picked up your phone. ...was where I picked up my phone. That's weird. It is, and I don't think many that people... That was the building that they found this unexploded bomb I from. know. Like... Well, and, like... Uh, two thoughts I just had. Like, number one, I don't think many people in Austin have actually been to the FedEx facility, so we're in a rare group there. But also, Fair. the people that we met while we were there were the people who dealt with this situation. Yeah, because that was... I got my phone in, what, December? So that was... Eight months later? Nine months. Eight, nine months after. So, yeah. They could very specifically remember when the SWAT team and police are swarming the fedex office and yeah. also just imagine the previous bombs exploded when someone picked it up and the the one that killed draylin when his mom tried to open it so what do you think the fedex officer who's like moving the packages i know and it's uh, horrifying it is absolutely horrifying well, and clearly it sounds like the whoever was creating these had gotten a little bit more advanced if they were able to be handled by multiple people i mean i'm not sure i no absolutely so a few hours after this package is found unexploded after they recover this one so still march 20th another explosion rocked a goodwill store in south austin and injured a man in his 30s i forgot about this one so it was discovered however that this explosion was not one of the bombers explosives. Oh wait, no, I remember it now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it was an old military device that was donated to the Goodwill that detonated in an employee's hand. Does that make you think of Grey's Anatomy and that one episode with the bomb where the guys were like creating the giant cannon? Yes. The the one that aired after the Super Bowl. Yeah. That is the most watched Grey's Anatomy episode ever. It yeah. does. 
Yep. And now I will always think of Anna Nalick. She was the one who sings that 2 a.m. and it comes. I know. And the bomb explodes and kills Kyle Chandler. Yep. And um, can we just... Sorry, spoiler alert. The episode is 14 years old. It's 14 years old. And also, Kyle Chandler lives just outside of Austin. And he's just He gorgeous. is just one of the most beautiful men in the world. And if you disagree, don't even talk to me about it because he is 100% delish. I I would husband him up right now. Oh my now. god, same, same. Um. So back to the bombings. And I know. All gone yeah. On. The um, but the it, important. I stuff. feel like we need the the occasional like. Let's just set this down and talk about something happy for just ten seconds. I know. Well, and to because, be fair, I didn't oh. bring up something happy. I brought up a really intense episode of Grey's Anatomy. I mean, you, which you it did. does really remind me of. But then we got to Kyle Chandler, and yeah. I was okay with that. No, oh, fair. But yeah, so this military device detonates an employee's hands, um, and I think it was not like a bomb bomb. Yeah. I think it was more like a firework type bomb, but military device. I don't actually know what the hell it was. I don't either. Because I remember when it first happened, the news reported it as a firework. Like it, yeah. or, I mean, originally, originally it was like another bomb went off in the goodwill. Right. But then when they realized it was another bomb, I feel like I remember them talking about it like it was a firework. Also, I mean, it it was in his hands and it, it injured him, but... He was literally holding it in his hands. So I'm like, okay, so it, it can't have been like an old landmine that someone donated to Right, Goodwill. it wasn't like a grenade or something that someone yeah. was like, oh, this is just fake. So police said that they had no reason to believe that this incident was related to the package bombs. But by now, this entire city is in a panic mm-hmm. because these package bombs have been going off and now we have essentially three in one day. Yeah. Like, this was the day that I remember being like, do I go to work tomorrow? Like, Same. I, like, I don't, do I stay home? I don't know what I to know, do. I know, it's like, where am I safest? Because everywhere because seems vulnerable. It took a while, or not a while, while, but like, the Goodwill one was first reported as a yeah. bomb. Like, so at this point, I remember being like, okay, we have bombs on doorsteps tripwire bombs ones being donated to store i mean like what's to say that like his next thing is not gonna be i'm gonna put a bomb on the bus and exactly so i yeah i i remember being like i i I don't know what to do and just feeling very in the middle of it absolutely but just to put it in perspective over the past few weeks five bombs have exploded and another's been ex- intercepted at the last minute. And another one is thought to be a bomb, but thankfully yeah. isn't. Two people are dead, and another five have been injured. Like, it it felt like Austin was under it siege. And, and I remember talking to family, and them not seeming super concerned. Just like, oh, yeah, we, we heard about that um, on the news. Like, oh, that's happening. But being in Austin when it was going on was so different. Well, and we were getting the news in the moment, in the the day, and like... Yeah. I mean, it was one that I would, like, look out the window when I was at work and be like, you know, am I gonna see smoke rising on the horizon from another one going off? You know, 
how far away does it have to be for me to feel it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Things like the bombs that went off on the 12th that were a mile away from our apartment. Mm -hmm. You know, the first one I was asleep during it, but if I wasn't asleep, would I have heard it and felt it? Like, things like that. Like, it, it was a constant... And constant to the point that people weren't really, at least at work stuff, people weren't really talking about it because it was always on our minds. So we were always thinking about it. And it wasn't like a, oh, so this thing going on. Oh, I know. It was like a, yeah, so did you, you, you put a freeze on your Amazon packages, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Like that, that kind of like, we don't want to talk about it because it's too real right now kind of thing. Right. And also there's, there's this perspective that you and I have being from Oklahoma and living in Oklahoma at the time of the bombing. That is something that's that true. Is, that's true. Unfortunately, we're familiar with it. We're familiar with the thought process of when a bombing becomes something that seems a lot more serious than an isolated incident. Mm-hmm. And that, at least for me, I don't I don't know for you, because I was like Oh gosh, how old are you in kindergarten or first grade? Like six, seven or whatever? You're like I was six. like six or seven when the bombing in Oklahoma happened. And I remember it and I remember feeling it and I remember this huge impact. And so that's something mm-hmm. that was ingrained into me at such a young age that now when stuff like that happens, you know, and also us both living through 9-11, just like these, these huge yeah. incidents, we didn't take it lightly like it really did only take until like package two and three where we were both very alarmed and very um aware and paying attention to what was going on and nervous about going to work and and just all the things that were not necessarily going through everyone's head at that stage but would eventually well and it's one of those things that for me at the time this felt not not expected that's not the right word but not as surprising as it should have been because this wasn't long after i mean this was just not even a year after the truck attack in nice france yeah and i mean around the time of the different truck attacks in like new york and the stabbings in sweden and stuff. well and that was when i i went uh, to France, like yeah, right you were... after that happened. So to me, the I don't know the I guess the cynical part of me was like it, just, you know, okay, now it's here in the states. Yeah, because at, at least for me, I've always grown up with a new terrorist attack, a new bombing, a new something. You really have being headline news yeah. because. I don't have that many memories before 9-11. No, you were super young, so... I mean, yeah, I was seven, Mm -hmm. no, eight when 9-11 happened. And so uh, all of these things, I'm like, this is just my life. This is the world. This is what's happening. So the idea that we had a terrorist bombing Austin wasn't as surprising as I wish it would have been kind of thing. Yeah. This is turning um, into like a super personal episode, and I knew it would. I, know. I knew it would with us picking Austin Murders, and I think it's why we waited so long to do it. Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, for our listeners, this is obviously a city that 
I lived in for five years and Tyler's been there now a year. And like, we never thought we'd share a city other than the one we grew up in. It's true. I, yeah. So. I mean, after I, after you moved away for grad school and I moved away to Seattle, I'm like, what? Why would we ever move, live in the same place we again? We were literally on opposite sides of the country, and somehow... I know, you were in New York, I was in Seattle, and then came back and to Austin. somehow... Literally the midpoint on the I south. Know. And somehow ended up in the same place, and so, um, yeah. I know we keep going on these little uh, tangents or whatnot, but obviously you can tell this is a very personal it case. Is. And it's one that, you know, you said at the beginning when you started, it was the one you were closest with, and as you keep going through... Mm. It's also the one I'm closest to as well. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's one that, as I researched it a little bit, but actually going through it now, that fear and remembering like that fear it. and everything is coming yeah. back. And I'm like, fuck. Because also, I had lived here a month. I know, you were brand new. And like... Because I moved here beginning of February, and this started beginning of yeah. March. Yeah, it was it was terrifying, and mm-hmm. I remember. But I was glad we were both together here. and not like alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna jump back yes. in. So over 500 agents of the FBI and the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, mm-hmm. um, assisted the police during the investigation on these bombings. And one of the representatives called it. Probably the biggest investigation since the Boston Marathon bombing. Jeez. Which, yeah. And former deputy director of the FBI, Weldon L. Kennedy, told news outlets that he believed the culprit was a single, highly organized and efficient person because of the rapid pace of the bombings and the use of packaged bombs and the apparent proficiency in creating explosives. So not just the basic bombs but tripwire and just more sophisticated yeah, stuff. Yeah, like he knew what he was doing. And by March 20th, the Texas governor had allocated $265,000 in government spending just for this investigation alone. So, Austin police officially connected the March 2nd bombing and the bombings on March 12th, and they realized that the first 3 packages were not mailed. They were placed near the victim's house. Oh, I was, yeah. Okay. So. Wondering that. The first two that were deadly were placed there. And also the third one that injured Esperanza was addressed somewhere else, but seemed to be placed there specifically. Yeah. So it's unsure if it was placed incorrectly, if. The address on it was just like a, like a decoy or what. Right. And two of the first three bombs were triggered upon being picked up, with the other being triggered when it was opened. Mm-hmm. The fourth bomb was activated by tripwire. The fifth bomb was triggered in a sorting facility. And the sixth one was discovered and disarmed in another sorting facility. So there's just... A lot of moving parts. Well, and, like, clearly the builder is getting better and better at building. Oh, yeah. I'm scared of what kind of things the builder could have done had more, had they had more time. So, a FedEx store in Sunset Valley was cordoned off 
early in the morning of March 20th. So when, you know, the two bombs are found in the FedEx, or the one explodes in mm-hmm. the FedEx, the other one is found in the other FedEx. At the same time, the morning of the 20th, police cordon off a FedEx store in Sunset Valley after they track down the origin of the package that exploded earlier that morning in shirts. You know, it blew up in mm-hmm. the distribution facility. They tracked down where it had been mailed from, and they found this FedEx store. And so they are starting to narrow in yeah. on a suspect. Police also discovered that the bombs used some common household ingredients. And as part of the investigation, they collected and reviewed receipts and sales records from stores that had some suspicious components of like these parts to make these bombs. So this review identified Mark Anthony Condit as a person of Mm -hmm. interest and specifically a large purchase of nails that could have been used as shrapnel in these bombs Mm -hmm. um, by him at a Home Depot and Round Rock alerted investigators, as well as some uncommon batteries that were used in these bombs that had been shipped over from Asia that he'd ordered. Oh. So they're they're like, okay, you know, he bought a lot of nails and he doesn't seem to be like the type of person that, you know, he's not a contractor. He's not, he's building not also buying wood yeah. and shit to like build whatever. And also, you know, there's this battery and I don't know if it's like a power pack or what kind of thing. Obviously not a, like a very specific one. Like, ah, oh, we found the battery. He's the one who ordered it. No one else did. Like, but but it's like, okay, he has both these things. He's a person of interest. Yeah. So a federal search warrant was obtained for his IP address on his computer. And the evidence that they gathered indicated that he'd used Google to search for information on shipping packages. Mm. Oh, God. So things are starting to point yeah. towards him. Nothing yet. I mean, he didn't search, you know how to put a bomb on a porch or anything like that. You know, he he bought some nails, he bought some batteries, and he Googled how to ship something. But evidence is piling up. But, but everything, yeah, things are piling up and everything's starting to, it's like, okay, the these things all together are starting to look a certain yeah. way. So investigators also obtained a witness sketch of the person who mailed the two packages at the Sunset Valley FedEx. Mm-hmm. And they matched it to Condit, who was also uh, seen on security videotape at this FedEx store where the two explosive devices had been shipped from. Oh my god. The surveillance footage also captured him getting into a red 2002 Ford Ranger pickup that had no license plate. So by the evening of March 20th, Condit was considered the prime suspect. So early on the morning of March 21st, the next day, officials traced Condit's cell phone to a hotel in Round Rock, which is a suburb just north of Austin. (laughs) And... A SWAT team surrounded the hotel because they're ready to bring him in. They have enough to arrest him. But Condit drove away before other special units that had been called were able to arrive. This starts the police chase. The officers followed Condit onto I-35, 
where he finally stopped his car on like the side of the mm-hmm. road on Interstate 35, which is, I mean, the biggest highway in yeah, Austin. Yeah, it's huge. At about 2 a.m. So he's pulled over. SWAT officers are approaching this truck when suddenly a bomb detonates in the vehicle as the officers are approaching it. And, I mean, bomb goes off. The officers start firing at the vehicle. And the Austin Police Department wound up closing southbound I-35 so the FBI and ATF agents could investigate. And this final bomb killed Condit and it severely injured a police officer. (laughs) I remember waking up and being like... Oh, it's done. Holy shit. They ca- oh my god and just like reading it in yep, bed yep same i think that morning was one of the ones where i woke up at like 5 a.m and like looked at my phone and it just like went down the rabbit hole of reading as to what had just happened oh yeah and i i just remember it feeling so sudden yeah because the day before was when the three bombings are going off this when it's like full panic mode for all of yeah. austin And then you wake up in the morning and it's like, the bomber's caught, he's dead. So, who is Mark Condit? Like, who is this guy? 23-year-old Mark Condit. He was younger than me. Lived in Pflugerville, which is another suburb outside of Austin. He grew up in a very religious Christian family. He was the oldest of three kids. And he attended Austin Community Mm -hmm. College, but left without graduating. But... On good academic standards. Like, you know, he was just a good student. He'd been homeschooled by his mom. And in 2012, uh, so six years before this, he'd written blog posts where he identified as a conservative, but someone who wasn't very politically inclined. Mm -hmm. He argued for the death penalty and argued against same-sex marriage. But it's Texas. I mean, that's not any any kind of crazy opinion. No, no, no. It's... it's the norm. Yeah, like that's that, that's not crazy. And he reportedly was part of a club called the Righteous Invasion of Truth or Riot, which was apparently named after a Carmen song that I, I don't know who they yeah. are. But um the club's members were homeschooled kids who practiced survivalism and held Bible studies. So which again, it's Texas that doesn't surprise me at all. People stocking up on canned food and reading. I'm like, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, it's n- nothing so far is sticking no. out. Condit had moved out of his family's home a few years before the bombings and moved into a house that he and his dad had bought and he lived in with roommates to, like, help pay the mortgage yeah. and shit. And he had spent uh, quite a few years as an employee for Crux Manufacturing but he was fired eight months before the bombings for poor performance. But it not for just that he he wasn't that great. Just not good at his job. Like, yeah. Like, again, no red flags his job. No real red flags in his personal life. He didn't have a criminal record at all. There, there was no reason to ever suspect this guy. Yeah. And police found a 25-minute video on his phone where he described the explosives, the devices, and he confessed to the bombings, but 
Nowhere in the video did he explain how he chose his victims. And the Austin police chief described the video as the outcry of a very challenged young man talking about challenges in his life that led him to this point. Which, I have a big issue with the fact that the second people found out who he was, that he's just this average white guy that it oh it's not terrorism now it's just this poor kid who's calling out for help and i'm like no 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 he's a domestic terrorist yeah, it's still terrorism and he needs to be called what he no. is regardless of what his motives are i mean it was to inspire terror and at its very core he is a terrorist yes and there was just there's a lot of reluctancy You know, it it goes into a lot of the, oh, he's this lone wolf. Oh, you know, you know, he had mental illness and it's like, yes. And, you know, maybe he did suffer from mental illness. Mm -hmm. I would imagine anyone who was going to construct bombs and murder people. Has something going on. Does. But I, first off, hate that the only time people really will bring up mental illness is in situations like this instead of it being something that like should be talked about every day and normalized because hi uh, you literally know someone who suffers from some kind of mental everyone illness everyone does you literally have family members friends coworkers and not this or this no and you have all of those that there there is someone in every mm-hmm. category you know that suffers from mental There's illness. There's so many people. Um, so the fact that it's something that's only really talked about, like when something like this happens, and it it not only perpetuates the idea that if you have mental illness, you're this danger to society, yeah. but it also perpetuates the idea that, you know, if you are white and, you know, quote unquote, just regular or average that, you know, oh, it, it must be mental illness. It's like, you're a terrorist. Like, you're still a terrorist. Yep. But the video, this video confession was never released to the public. And in it, he never said what his motive was. So we don't know why. So now, yeah, it's it's been a year, a little more than a year since the bombings. Yeah. And his motive is just as unclear now as it was then nobody knows why it's crazy not having the answers i know i mean it's it's that closure piece of like what what made you want to do this what what could it have been i know because there's well in like both of our cases have mystery at the end and and like still the big question of why and at least in mine who and yeah it's there's not that closure. Yeah. Which, as I think about it, I feel like there are a lot of Austin crimes that have no closure. I guess there are just a lot of crimes in general that have no closure. And it's so hard. Yeah. Those are so hard. And well, and I- it's always so much more satisfying to have something where it's an open close. Even if there's still questions amongst, at least you know who did it and the why. You know? I guess... I think oftentimes you can run into cases that you get the who and you get the why, but all that does is open up more questions. 
you know, maybe that's you, all of you them. Get, okay, it, it it was Tom who, you know, he he killed this guy because he was robbing the store that he worked in. Okay, but why him? Why this store? Why did you kill him? Like it, and I I I think with honestly, I think with just like murder and things that are so unreal and so mm-hmm. not comprehensible that in the end there they're just there only is questions because you can't understand something like you're that. right there's always questions and there always will be there will will never have every answer for anything because yeah. it's you just you you can't you can't get into the mind of someone who's going to place bombs in front of houses no. or you know rape and murder young girls i mean you, you, you there's always going to be why because it's 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 not something you can understand and comprehend yeah. because it's just it's not real yeah. but it is oh my god um, so uh yeah yeah <laughs> god Thankfully, I talked a shit ton during mine, so I still have wine left because I need it. I still it. have a little bit as well because I was so, like, just listening and commenting that I didn't finish mine. But, um, yeah, what do you think? You you put I don't you know. put me on the spot last I, episode, so I'm doing it now. I did. I did. So, when you finished telling yours, I was convinced that that was the more intense case. And yeah, this episode was yours. After going through mine and kind of just remembering, I don't want to say living through it because, like, I was never in danger. You were never right. in danger. But just bringing it all, bringing all those emotions and that back, I don't know. I mean,. Well- I think just with how many unanswered questions there are and just how much, how senseless and brutal everything was, I do think yours was the more intense case. I don't know. Fuck. What are your thoughts? With yours, it was a lot more personal and we had a lot of connections to it. However, at least... It was resolved. Like, we don't know the why, but we know the who. But we do know the who. Um, yeah. And with mine, you know, it went from there were people who were arrested and convicted, even someone on death row, and then that was overturned, and now they're free. And the case yeah. is not moving forward. So those families went through literally every Hell. obstacle you could imagine where it was like, Almost yeah. 10 years of waiting for something to happen. Then something happened. They were convicted. They went to prison. And then it was overturned and they were released. It's just like literally, oh, yeah. could you imagine any other type of hell to go through? So, no. And the fact I mean, that I, the case. The brutality of yeah, wars. Yes. All and, the things that were done and that that we don't know why or who. That we really don't know who. I think that's why I would say mine still is, like, the more intense. Yeah. No, and I agree. So. Um, so I will uh, be picking the topic for next week's yes. episode. and I'll pick our and, wine. Um, 
But um, yeah. Well, um, thank you guys for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Um, let us know. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, let us know what you think. Leave um, some stars. Leave a written review. Some stars. Leave us five stars. We'd prefer. But, you know, let yeah. us know what you think. And we really appreciate it. It just... it. The more you guys rate us, the more it makes us available to everyone else. And um, we'd yeah. love for y'all to spread the word. Um, but also make sure to like us and follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we also have our website. You can check it out. Check out that merch store. Oh, yeah. We haven't um, talked about the merch store in a while. So... We haven't talked about the merch store, but this new logo that you're seeing everywhere, we have shirts, we have pillows, posters, dog bandanas, coffee mugs. Basically whatever you want. Honest, yeah. Honestly, it's basically the Walmart of blood and wine. So, it is. But like we treat our employees good because our employees are us too. <laughs> so it's uh, bloodandwinepodcast.com slash store forward slash. Um, check it out. And does anyone use backslashes or is it always just forward slash? I think it's always forward slash. I mean, I'm not a computer person, so don't don't at me computer people who actually know the answer because it's, it's okay. Um, but yeah, well, with that, I think we're I think we're done. Yeah, uh, we will see y'all next week. And by that, I mean, you will hear from us next week um, because we can't see you and you cannot see <laughs> us except on our Instagram. Yes. Well, thank you guys for listening. Mm, you know, whatever. Oh, did I say we we're on Facebook too? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? You did. I did. You did. Okay. I forgot. All right. Well, thank y'all for listening. Yes. This is Blood and Wine signing XOXO. off. So, Bye, you guys. Bye.